So yesterday was quite a day, wasn't it? The coronation of King Charles. 70 years on from the last time we had a coronation in this country. I wasn't planning on watching the coronation. In fact, yesterday I drove my dad from Chelmsford, where he lives, through to Eastbourne, where he's staying for a few days in a hotel. And on the way to Chelmsford, I was on my own in the car, so I listened to the first part of the coronation on the radio. And I was thinking, what does it mean to have someone as king? Or to crown someone as king? What does that, what does that really mean? And what, what's the significance for our daily lives that we have a king? Is it something that's only symbolic? And if it is symbolic, then what is the reality that it points us to? Anyway, having arrived in Eastbourne with my dad, we had a cup of tea in the conservatory of the hotel. It was all very nice. We were looking out at the sea with the rain coming down. And there were quite a few people around. It's a fairly big hotel. And I was thinking about part of the passage that we read together a few minutes ago. We read the whole thing, but it's the verses at the end that we're going to focus on. And I was thinking about this instruction, do not love the world or anything in the world. And for a few weeks now, we've been thinking about what love means and how we learn to love. It's something that's very very important, isn't it? Learning to love. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all our hearts and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbours as ourselves. It's also something that's very practical, as Lou was explaining last week. And it's something that's very relevant because love is something we all want to experience, isn't it? And the love we have The love that we have for things and people and places is what makes life interesting. It's what makes life worth living. I think you'd probably agree. So my dad loves going to Eastbourne, and many of us love holidays and traveling, seeing new places, having adventures. Who wouldn't like to spend a few days in a nice hotel by the sea? But what about this instruction? Do not love the world or anything in the world. What does that mean? And how do we respond this morning to that instruction? We tend to think of love as being something very positive, uh, something that, that comes naturally to us. Certainly the description of love that we were thinking about on Easter Sunday from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a very positive description. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, and so on. But what about this instruction, do not love the world or anything in the world? Makes us stop and think, doesn't it? Are there things that we need to be careful about? Are there things that we mustn't love, things that we shouldn't love? And what does this passage teach us about learning to love? 
Or perhaps it's also a question of learning not to love, possibly. Well, let's start with first impressions. What are our first impressions of these verses? When we read these words on their own, so without any of the context, they sound quite severe. Do not love the world or anything in the world. We all live in the world, don't we? And all the things that we love, our families, our friends, our food, our, I love food, they're all, all things are in the world. So what does it mean? Does it mean that we shouldn't love anything at all except from, from God? Well, I think we can probably rule out that interpretation because we know that we are to love our neighbours, at least. And, and that doesn't mean we can just ignore the instruction either. What we need to do, I think, is ask some more questions. What is meant by this word, world? That's the key question. And what are the things in the world that we're not to love? So having got some first impressions, this is where we need to consider the context. And the context will hopefully help us to understand what this word world means. And it'll help us to understand what are the things in the world that we're told not to love. So if we can look together at 1 John chapter 2 and verses 15, 16 and 17. We've just got three verses. And notice that After the initial instruction, do not love the world or anything in the world, what we then have are three statements. One in verse 15, one in verse 16, and one in verse 17. So we've got three statements. And what I'd like us to do is see how these three statements function in relationship with the instruction, do not love the world or anything in the world. I hope that makes sense. So if we take the first of the statements that follows the instruction, it says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So this first statement is telling us something about love for the world. It seems to be saying that love for the world and love for God or love for the Father are in opposition. So they're kind of incompatible. So whatever loving the world means, it displaces love for God. It squeezes out love for the Father. So this first statement seems to suggest that there's some kind of choice. We can either choose to love the world or we can choose to love God, but we can't love both the world and the Father. And remember, we're still trying to understand what does it mean to love the world or not to love the world. And perhaps that helps us to start to try and understand Remember, the instruction given here by John is do not love the world or anything in the world. And we're not going to be able to follow that instruction unless we understand what it means. 
And whatever it means, it stops us from loving God. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So whatever love for the world is, it replaces love for God. Let's move on to the second statement. What does the second statement tell us? It's in verse 16, and it follows on from the first statement. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. That's helpful, isn't it? Remember, the instruction we're trying to understand is, do not love the world or anything in the world. And in this second statement, John tells us what he means by things that are in the world. He gives us some examples, doesn't he? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I'm not sure if that, if that helps or if we need to unpack that a little bit, but at least John is giving us some examples. And then he gives us an overall definition. He says that everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So this is the definition of things in the world. They're things that come not from the Father, but from the world. And I find that helpful, isn't it? He's not saying that we're not to love people or places or other things. What we're not to love is the lust or pride or boasting that seems to drive a lot of what happens in the world. These are desires or attitudes that come not from God, but from the world. And lustful desires and boastful pride, if we're honest, we know about these things, don't we? We've experienced these things at one time or another ourselves. So John says that these are the things that don't come from God, but they come from the world, and they belong to the world rather than the kingdom of God. And that's why loving such things and loving the world takes us away from God. Later on in this letter, in fact, right at at the end of chapter 5, John tells us that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's chapter 5, verse 19. And at the beginning of the letter, John tells us that God God is light. Chapter 1, verse 5. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So this is the contrast that we need to have in mind when we hear the instruction, do not love the world or anything in the world. God's not saying don't love each other. God's not saying don't love things that he's made for us to enjoy. He's saying don't love the things that come from the world. Things like lust and boastful pride. And then we have the third statement. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
What does this third statement add to our understanding of the instruction, do not love the world or anything in the world? Well, the question is, how do we know what we love? How do we know what the things are that that we love, that we shouldn't love? And love has to do with attachment, doesn't it? What are we most attached to is probably what we love. So let's just have a moment to think about that. What are the things that we're most attached to? And let's try and just be honest with God. No one's going to have to say anything, but what are the things that, that have the greatest attachment in our lives? This third statement reminds us that not everything will last forever. And it highlights the difference between what is temporary, temporary things and permanent things. Things that are perishable and imperishable. But this third statement also reminds us of Jesus, doesn't it? The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever Whoever does the will of God, Jesus, the one who did the will of God. We know in the garden, before Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion, he said, your will, your will, Father, be done, not mine. And Jesus is always and absolutely our example. Jesus chose to love his Father above everything else even when it involved great sacrifice. And perhaps for us, if we're to put this into practice, do not love the world or anything in the world, that's going to involve sacrifice. That's going to involve cost. But it it didn't start in the garden with Jesus saying, your will be done. Right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he spent 40 days in the desert where he was tested and tempted by the evil one. And I think the temptations that Jesus faced are similar to what John writes about here, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. The temptation to to satisfy our needs, our way. The temptation to put God to the test because we need proof of his care. Or the temptations of worldly power, and possessions and authority. How did Jesus resist these temptations? We know know the story well, don't we? The first time the devil came, he said, he told the devil that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And each time he replied to the temptations and the testing by saying, it is written... And then he would quote something that he had memorized from the Bible. I don't know about you, but I face temptation every day. Sometimes we miss it, but if we we have the habit of kind of reflecting over our day, perhaps at the end of the day, often we can identify just moments where we've been tempted in some way. And to be tempted, Jesus was tempted, to be tempted... It's not sin. 
Temptation itself is just part of life. Jesus experienced it. We experience it. And you will know what temptations you face day by day. They're, they're real. We all have them. We don't talk a lot about them, but temptations come very often. And when I was, I was a bit younger, I memorized um, verses like Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man or a young person keep their way pure? By living according to your word. And then verse 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it's, yeah, I don't know how you find it, but there's something very powerful about God's words. And Jesus demonstrates it. When Jesus faced the temptation, what did he say? It is written. Man does not live by bread alone. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And these verses from 1 John 2, I also memorized, but in a slightly different version. Do not love the world or anything in the world, for everything in the world. And then it was, I think, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And it's just a very helpful way of identifying the temptations that we face. Learning to love is like learning to do anything. We need, uh, we need to be shown the way. We need instructions, and that's what we have here. We have them all over. Do not love the world or anything in the world. It's an instruction. But then we need an example, don't we? And in this situation where the instruction is... It's not so much things to love, but things not to love. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Then we think of Jesus and what he did when he faced temptation and how he handled the attacks that came. I think we have these things recorded in the Gospels for us so that we can learn from them. So we need instructions. We need an example to follow. This is how we learn but then we also need encouragement. And we, we need encouragement especially for when we fail. Because Jesus lived a perfect life and, and we don't. So we're going to fail. But when we fail, we can't give up. If we face a temptation and we give in to that temptation, whatever it is, and... I promise you, you will face a temptation at some point later today. If we fail, then we have to get ourselves up. But how do we do that? We need, we need encouragement. And I asked Lou to read chapter 1 and chapter 2 because at the beginning of chapter 2, John writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
It's interesting, John tells us, do not, do not love the world or anything in the world. The most well-known verse probably in the Bible is John 3.16, where we're told, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So the words are exactly the same. Do not love the world, that's what we're told, but for God so loved the world. Exactly the same words for love and for world. So we're, we're doing this together. We're learning to love together. There are things that we need to avoid. Let me just read Hebrews 13, verse 5, which says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. If there's anything you take away from this morning, it's that there, there are things that we need to be careful not to get too attached to. Do not love the world or anything in the world. But it's not a matter of just rejecting everything that God provides for us, for us to enjoy and benefit from. There are things in the world that we need to be really careful about. And Jesus is our example. And when we're struggling or when we fail... We need to look again to Jesus to lift us up. And we can encourage one another as well because this is our common experience. This is what we all go through. Let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you that we have your words, your promises, your instructions, the things that you have spoken and have been recorded for us so that even today, hundreds and thousands of years later, Lord, we, we can read and we can, we can take to heart the things that you, you said long ago, Lord, but that you continue to speak to us by your Spirit. And Lord, just pray that you would help us to be attentive to you today. Lord, the things that, that you want us to do, the instructions that you want us to follow, but Lord, also the, the promise of your help and your, and your love and your concern for us to, to live in the, in the best way possible. Lord, thank you that, that if we live your way, when we live your way, we experience you. In great, in great ways, Lord. Help us to, to learn to love together, Lord. Help us to put into practice the things that you're telling us. And Lord, we know that that will be different for, for each of us, but Lord, please speak to us, encourage us, help us, that we would be your people here, able to do the things that you want us to do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.